Hello and welcome to New Things Under the Sun. I'm Matt Clancy. This week's podcast, Science as a Map of Unfamiliar Terrain. So two things seem to be true. More science leads to more technological progress, but only a minority of new technologies directly rely on science. And if you want to learn more about that, you can check out some links in the newsletter. So what kinds of technology benefit most from a scientific foundation to draw on? So one way to conceptualize the difference between science and technology is that scientific knowledge tells us about how the world works, while technology is about capturing and orchestrating regularities in nature to do something that we think is useful. But by definition, a new technology is going to have to step into the unknown and try something new. Either it's going to rely on novel natural processes, or it's going to orchestrate existing ones in some novel way. Now, since science gives us knowledge about how natural processes work and how they interact with each other, it can provide an imperfect map of this unknown terrain, helping inventors sort of step wisely. And we can see that this is indeed the case with a set of papers, each of which looks at patents as a measure of invention, but which take you know various approaches to measuring reliance on science and the degree to which the terrain an inventor is exploring is unknown. So let's start with a really intuitive application. Science is useful for inventors who are changing fields. Arts in Fleming 2018 looks at inventors who initially patent in one technological domain, and then they switch to another. Looking at U.S. patents over 1975 to 2002, they find the patents of people who are new to a domain, but who have previously patented in other domains, those patents seem to be less valuable as compared to the patents of people with more experience in that domain. Now here, When I say the value of a patent, I'm talking about how many citations the patent receives, but also how likely it is to be renewed. And since you have to pay non-negligible fees to keep patents active, renewal is a common way to sort of measure the value of a patent. Because if you paid the fees, it suggests the patent holder thinks the patent's worth paying the fees. So using science helps inventors avoid this penalty when they enter a new field. Arts and Fleming used the citation of scientific articles in a patent to measure reliance on science. In general, patents that cite science receive more citations and are more likely to be renewed. But this effect is especially strong for patents of people who are changing fields. Compared to experienced inventors in the same field, people for whom the field is sort of this unfamiliar one, they seem to disproportionately benefit from having science there to help guide them while they're inventing. Now, as an aside, Arts and Fleming also find these patents by outsiders to a field seem to exhibit more creativity as measured by the number of unusual combinations of technology they make. And that's something that is interesting, but we'll have to dig into that another day. Now, science also seems to help navigate technological domains that are just very far from any current work. Now, testing that notion requires a way to measure when is a technology near or far from the technologies that already exist. A paper by Neeland, Schilling, and Aronson from 2020 does this by relying on the set of about 10,000 technological classifications used by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to help patent examiners search for relevant prior art. Now, Neeland, Schilling, and Aronson measure the distance of a patent from another by the number of these classifications that differ, uh, because most patents are actually assigned more than one of these technology classifications. You know, as an example, we could imagine that there are three patents and five different technology classifications, which I'll just call A, B, C, D, and E. One of the patents is assigned three of these classifications, A, B, C. We can imagine the second patent is assigned A, B, D, so one different. We change the C to a D. 
And the third one has C and D, but also E. Now it turns out that last one is sort of more different than the first two. The first two were ABC and ABD. You change one, you change that C to a D, and you know they're one step removed. But C, D, E, well, you're going to have to change at least two things to get from one of those first patents to another. You either have to change A and B to D and D, or uh, A and B to C and E, depending on which patent you want to change from. So Neeland, Schilling, and Aronson focused their attention on the 8% of patents that differ by two or more steps from any other patents granted at the time of filing. Neeland, Schilling, and Aronson find two different measures of reliance on science are correlated with being one of these outlier patents. So patents that cite more scientific articles are also more likely to be these outliers. They're more likely to be sort of two steps removed from any other patents. And patents invented by people with a university affiliation are also more likely to be these kind of outlier patents. In other words, patents for inventions building on science, where you measure science either by citing a scientific article or having a university affiliation, those patents are more likely to occupy more unexplored corners of the technological landscape. Now, it's not only unexplored regions of the technological landscape that benefit from science, though. There might also be regions that are sort of well-trod, but they're treacherous. Uh, In technologies that orchestrate a set of components that interact in sort of these complex or nonlinear ways, so they're really sensitive. Small changes to the design of technology can have these large impacts on whether the technology is useful or not. In these realms of, you know, very, I'll call them fussy technologies, things need to be just right to work. And in that setting, science can usefully guide inventors to understand what you can change and, and how you can change it and what you have to leave alone and cannot mess with. Now, measuring that's not easy, but Fleming and Sorens in 2004 is a kind of a classic old paper that gives it a shot. Like Neeland, Schilling, and Aronson from 2020, this paper also relies on the technology classifications assigned to patents, but not the exact same one that that other paper relied on. They attempt to create a measure of how fussy each technological classification is based on how well it seems to sort of play nice with other technologies. And I should clarify, fussy is my term, it's not the term they use, but I think it captures what they're going for in a kind of colloquial way. If a certain technology classification has been jointly listed on patents with many other technological classifications, they're going to say that's not a very fussy kind of technology, but one that is only ever jointly listed with this very small set of other technology classifications is going to be called sort of very fussy since it only seems to work in these ve- this very narrow context. Now that measure might seem a, a bit ad hoc, but Fleming and Sorensen also do a survey of inventors uh, and they show that this measure is correlated with inventors' self-assessments of how sensitive their own inventions are to sort of small changes. And they also show that this measure is not just sort of picking up how new or how novel a technology is. It's doing something a little different. And their main result is to show that patents that primarily are composed of these sort of very sensitive, fussy types of technologies, they seem to disproportionately benefit from science. And here, science means like we're citing a scientific article. And what does that mean in this case? Well, patents that cite science tend to get more cite, heavily cited by other patents. So other patents find them useful or uh, build on that idea or occupy the same technological domain. 
across the board, if you cite science, that's better. But the sort of gap between the ones that cite science and don't cite science gets larger and larger as you have these like increasingly fussy technologies. So across three different settings, inventors venturing out into unfamiliar terrain, either because it's new to them or because it's just new to everyone or because it's sort of very treacherous, those kinds of inventors benefit disproportionately from a scientific map of the region. But there's one additional paper which provides further complementary evidence from sort of a different vantage point. Now, all of the papers considered so far are about inventors using science to help them find valuable ideas. Among other things, Aurora, Bellinzon, and Sue 2021 instead looks at how science helps people assess the value of patented ideas. And they specifically look at patent reassignments, which occur, for example, when an inventor sells his patent to a firm. Now, for these kinds of transactions to occur, obviously the buyer of the patent has to be able to form some idea about the value of the patented invention. And one thing Aurora, Bellinzon, and Sue do is show that these trades are more likely to occur when the patent is based on science. They measure a patent's links to science in two ways. The first is familiar. They're going to look, again, does the patent cite a scientific article? But the second is a nice new complementary measure. They use natural language processing to measure the similarity of the patent's text to the text of pre-existing academic paper abstracts. The more the language in a patent resembles the language in scientific articles, the more likely it is to build on scientific ideas. At least that's their argument. And that helps them identify patents that are heavily influenced by science, but maybe don't actually cite science, perhaps because instead they cite patents and then those patents cite science. They also look at site. Uh, this also helps them catch patents that maybe cite science, but it's kind of an accident. It doesn't actually seem like they use the ideas in there. In either case, either measure they use, they find patents that are more reliant on science are more likely to be traded. So scientific papers are more likely to be bought and sold. Is that because links to science reduce the uncertainty about the quality of the invention for the buyer? For example, suppose a team of inventors relies on science to create a primitive quantum computer. They get a patent. They can show it really is a quantum computer, but it can't actually do anything very useful yet. But a buyer who understands the scientific theory might know that quantum computing technology has these enormous future applications, and they're going to be willing to spend a lot to acquire the patent rights. On the other hand, maybe science just helps inventors create new technologies that are just demonstrably, demonstrably better than those that aren't reliant on science. For example, in this case, suppose a team of inventors uses science to create a sophisticated quantum computer, and they show investors that, hey, look, we have this thing, it can do amazing, useful things. And in this case, the buyers are just going to be interested, even if they don't understand the science of how it works at all, they just see that this is a technology that does new and valuable things. But no, while it is true that patents reliant on science seem to be more valuable, Aurora, Bellinzon, and Sue show that scientific patents are still more likely to be traded, even after you account for the value of the patent in various ways. So in other words, two patents that are roughly equally valuable by some proxy, uh, the one that is based in science is still more likely to be traded than its equally valuable peer. Aurora, Bellinzon, and Sue also find some results that echo what we've already talked about. Just as Arts and Fleming found the patents of experienced inventors entering an unfamiliar field disproportionately benefited from a scientific map of the region, 
Aurora, Bellinzon, and Sue find technological domains where it's more common to cite science or you know to rely on science, those domains are also more likely to have a greater share of inexperienced inventors. In this case, those who have not previously held any patents. And like Neeland, Schillen, and Aronson, they also find evidence that science is more useful in domains that are just unfamiliar to everyone. Patents that cite newer scientific articles are more likely to be traded. And the impact of science is also stronger for patents that are more novel, that is, more distant from what has come before. Now, in their paper, novelty is defined in this clever new way as the dissimilarity of the patent text from the text of existing patents. Patents that are more unusual, uh, their text doesn't look like the text of other patents that are already out there, they get an extra boost from citing science in terms of their probability of being traded. And similarly, patents that are given unusual combinations of technology classifications by the patent office, they also see a disproportionate increase in trade if they also cite science. So science accelerates technological progress in a few ways. First, it might help inventors find their way in unfamiliar places. But second, it might also help scientists convince others that what they've found is actually valuable. And that contribution shouldn't be underestimated either. New technologies can't have much of an impact on society if they aren't made widely available, and it's often not the inventor who has the capability of making that happen. Thanks. And now it's time for the standard end-of-the-episode boilerplate. You've been listening to a podcast from New Things Under the Sun, a living literature review with the mission of communicating what academia knows about innovation in accessible but rigorous research syntheses. New Things Under the Sun is a living literature review, which means I go back and update these research syntheses as new research is published or I discover it. The podcast you listen to is taken from the first published version of one of these syntheses. To see if there's been any updates about the claims made in this podcast or to learn more about this project, head to newthingsunderthesun.com.